0: Revelation chapter 17 and 18, I'm not going to read both chapters, but I'm going to basically try and cover both chapters tonight. Um, It's a lot of differences of opinion as to what all this applies to. I heard a message some years ago at a camp meeting by a pretty well-known preacher, Baptist preacher, and he's a good preacher that Revelation 18 refers to the United States, and he made some very good applications, but I don't think it does, Um, so one of the things I want to do tonight is identify who we're talking about, Lord willing, so Revelation 17, I'm going to read verse, chapter 17, and I'm going to read also verse 4 of chapter 18, verse 4 and 5. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that setteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away into the spirit, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and of the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman, and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was, was and is not, and he shall descend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. They that dwell in the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not, and yet is. Now, I believe that's ref- those verses are referring to the Antichrist, because the woman rides the beast the woman rides the Antichrist. This woman this woman rides world governments. That's what she's going to do. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. There are seven kings. Five are fallen. One is, and the other is not yet come. When he cometh, he must continue a short space. That would be the Antichrist. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are the ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings with one hour with the beast. These have one mind shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. He saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, the waters refers to back to verse 1, because it sitteth upon many waters, so the waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples, and multitudes, and nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his, his will, and to agree, and give their kingdom unto the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city, this is a city, which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Now, drop down to chapter 18, and verses 4 and 5. It says, And I heard another voice from heaven, saying, Come out of her, my people." Be ye not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. So, tie the message tonight simply, the 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 harlot, Babylon harlot. So let's let's pray and we'll look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity, and privilege we have to open your precious Word. I pray that you give us wisdom and understanding into the truth of thy word this evening, and may it encourage us and challenge us uh, to be faithful in this day and time which we're living until our Lord returns, so we go to be with him. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a lot of speculation about who this really is. I don't think really anybody wants to claim this for themselves. (laughs) If you read the description of it, Dave Hunt in 1994, published a book, A Woman Rides the Beast, that identifies this religious harlot of Revelation 17 with Roman Catholicism. Of course, it stirred a lot of controversy, and, and, uh, and some evangelical leader, leaders, of course, claimed that that was ludicrous to identify um, the Roman Catholic Church as the, as the harlot, or as the Antichrist. However, throughout the centuries, Bible believers have identified the Catholic Church as the harlot, and as the the Antichrist. In the 10th century, the Bishop of Orleans, in a full council at Reims, called the Pope Antichrist. In the 11th century... Beringer of Tours denounced Rome's dogmas and maintained that the Roman Church was the see of Satan. The Waldensians, throughout most of their long history, identified the Pope as the Antichrist. The Waldensian treatise, titled The Noble Lesson, dated 1100 AD, stated Antichrist, a predicted murderer of the saints, hath already appeared in his true character, seated monarchically in the seven-hilled city. Uh, In 1206, at the Conference of Montreal, the Albigensians made the following confession, that the Church of Rome was not the spouse of Christ, but the Church of Confusion, drunk with the blood of the martyrs, that the polity of the Church of Rome was neither good nor holy, nor established by Jesus Christ. The Bohemian brethren held the following beliefs, according to the Roman Inquisitor. This description uses material from the 13th century. The first, heir quote, saith he is that the Church of Rome is not the Church of Jesus Christ, but an assembly of wicked men and the whore that sits upon the beast in the Revelation. They declare the Pope to be the head and ringleader of all errors, The lawlers of the 14th and 15th centuries maintain that the Church of Rome was not the Church of Christ, but of infidel heathens, and they despise all ecclesiastical laws. And we could go on and on and on. The Reformation era, Rome was considered the mother of harlots, and so this has been the description that Bible believers and even Protestants, many of the earliest Protestants, gave to the Roman Catholic Church. They called her the mother of harlots, the, the great whore, or the Antichrist. So when Dave Hunt writes a book in 1994 and identifies the, the harlot of Revelation 17 as the Catholic Church, it wasn't something new. It goes back to the 3rd century. Second or third century in Constantine, uh, when Constantine united, united the church with the state. But I want you to notice. Let's let's identify this this entity. And I got a lot of stuff here from a report that David Cloud did concerning Rome and the Harlot Church of Revelation. And uh, I started. I'd made a list, and and uh, you know, and I start, looked at this, and he's, his list is almost identical to mine. But anyway. Some of the things, number one, her location identifies her with Rome, this harlot. In verse 9 it says, Here is a mind which hath wisdom, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the whore sitteth. So John pictures the harlot sitting upon seven mountains, which most Protestants of old and fundamentalists of the present identity, uh, of, present identify as the city of Rome. Uh, J. Vernon McGee said this, The woman is the city, and the city is Rome, the religious capital of the world. Rome was a city set on seven hills and was known as such to both pagan and Christian writers. Unquote. So, immediately, you know, we see this identified, one of identification is her location. She sits on seven hills. Uh, Her character identifies her with Rome's. She is, in verse 1, she is called a great whore. Now, This is true of Rome, both spiritually and literally. Uh, She has committed spiritual whoredom uh, throughout history. Uh, uh, Constantine, of course, of old, uh, they they united with Constantine of old, and she disobediently affiliated with pagan governments ever since. Uh, They have been associated with all sorts of immorality, literally, you know, the immorality here hear today in our world is nothing new. The Catholic Church was, is rank with it. Uh, in uh, Haley's Bible handbook, um, he gives a little history of, of, uh, of some of the popes. In, uh, in one error, he calls the rule of harlots. And this is what he says, quote, Sergius III, from 904 to 911, is said to have had a mistress, Marizia. She, her mother Theodora, and her sister filled the papal chair with their paramours and bastard sons and turned the papal palace into a den of robbers called in history the rule of the harlots. Uh, The, the, uh, you know, and, and and you know we could we could go on and on and on um, the the uh, uh, trying to find here one of us looking for oh John John the twenty third from fourteen ten to fourteen fifteen called by some the most depraved criminal who ever sat on a papal throne guilty of almost every crime as cardinal in Bologna two hundred maidens nuns and married women fell victim to his amours. As Pope, he violated virgins and nuns, lived in adultery with his brother's wife, was guilty of sodomy and other nameless vices, bought the papal office, sold cardinalettes to children of wealthy families, and openly denied the future life. Uh, you, know, they, you know, one of the things that says here that they sold the slaves of men. Uh, you know, let, me, let me ask you a question. I should have asked this earlier. I thought about this earlier. What was the largest empire the world's ever known? It's not a it's not a trick question, huh? What'd you say? Roman. Roman. You're talking about time of Jesus, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else? Greek. Some would say maybe even um, what's the uh, Mongolian Genghis Khan? I say it's none of those. It's the Roman Catholic Church. Listen to this. The Renaissance popes, Nicholas V, authorized the King of Portugal to war on African peoples, take their property, and enslave. People. And, you know, there was an argument. I'm not sure if it was in this book or someplace else I read it. There was an argument between Portugal and Spain as to who was going to colonize what. And so the Pope, who rules over the, as we're going to see, rules, ruled over kings, uh, assigned to Spain the Americas. And to Portugal, Africa. So, Portugal is to colonize Africa, of course, for the Catholic Church. And Spain is to colonize the Americas for the Catholic Church. And guess who rules it? The Pope. Uh, just, just I know my, my children are like this. How did England get, get Ireland? Adrian the Fourth, eleven fifty four to eleven fifty nine. The only English Pope gave Ireland to the King of England and authorized him to take possession. This authorization re- was renewed by the next Pope, Alexander III, and carried out in eleven seventy one. You know the, this 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 outfit. The, Her character is corrupt. You know, Pope Sixtus IV erected a house of prostitution in Rome. Pope Pius II had two illegitimate children. Pope Vin Vin Innocent had two illegitimate children raised to positions of authority and wealth in the Catholic Church. And you you go on and on and on, and, and it's just one pope after another, and the stories are the same. And, of course... In modern times, is it any different? No. The Catholic Church is reeked with scandals of sex abuse. Her worldwide reach, again, verse verse 1. The end of the verse says, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. In verse fifteen, he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. You know, no matter where you go in this dark world, Rome's tentacles are there. They're there. They're everywhere. They're all over the world. They are busy extending their influence, and and they yoke together with anyone and everyone, whether it's Christian denominations or pagan religions or communist dictators. They will yoke together with them to Christianize or Catholicize the people. Even to this day, in August seventh, 1977, Michael Ramsey said he would accept the Pope as President-Bishop of a United Church. Ramsey also, and this is the Archbishop of Canterbury, the head of the Anglican and Episcopal churches. Uh, and, and, and in England, he said also said we should like to see the churches of England, Scotland, and United States, and any other countries bound together in one body. If the Pope would like to come in as a Ch- as chairman, we should all welcome him. And um, pagan religions are turning to the Catholic Church. At least two general assemblies of the World Council of Churches. The speakers include Hindus, Buddhists, rabbis, Muslims, Sikhs, Native American Indians, Australian Aborigines. Pagan altars were erected. Fire offerings made to the various pagan gods. Ecumenical means universal, worldwide, and the present moot date. Present day movement of Christian unity, represented by such groups as the World Council of Churches, is a for view, and of course, the Catholic Church is among that as well. Uh, so, so, you know, her worldwide, she rules over many peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Her, her, we see also her unholy effect upon men identifies with Rome, if you notice in verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth had committed fornication, the inhabitants of the earth had been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. You know, this apostate religion allows men to continue in their sinful pleasures while having a form of religion to soothe their guilty conscience. It gives them the form. A form. You know, the fornic- word fornication refers to the seducing power of, of their religious system in drawing away the affections of men from Christ. In uh, one commentator said this: quote, "The priest comes between the heart and the blessed Lord. The Bible is concealed. The mind of God is unknown. The people are intoxicated with her exciting falsehood, and they worship they know not what." Unquote. That was actually written in Miller's Church History. Um, and of course, this this is of course illustrated. This is illustrated by even the world's you know the world is somehow has seems to have a supernatural attraction to the pope wherever he goes even secular humanist press gives him great acclaim something that's not accorded to any other christian leader and you know many nations have ambassadors to the vatican we have one. You know who it is? Callista Gingrich. What, the second or third wife of Newt Gingrich? She's Catholic. And now Newt has become Catholic, too. Yeah. But that's our ambassador. Why do we have an ambassador to the Vatican? Because they're a world... The Pope is a world leader, not just in religious things, although that's what he presents himself as. You know, people have been trampled to death in the crowds that flock to hear. It's, you know, Again, they're drunk with the wine of the harlot church. Uh, her illicit relationship with civil government identifies, if you notice in verse 2 again, it says, with whom the kings of the earth had committed fornication. You know, the apostles never yoked together with secular government. They gave their attention to establishing churches, and their principle was that the church has its business and the state has its. Now, that didn't mean that Christians couldn't be in government. But they didn't yoke together with government to further the gospel. Or use government to coerce people to accept their, quote, religion. This is the thing that the Catholic Church has done throughout the ages. Now, you know, in in our modern time, in in the good old USA, it's hard for us to understand this. But if you go to Mexico, southern Mexico, or places in South America, you're going to find out it's very real. In 1302, Pope Boniface, VIII issued a papal bull entitled Unum Sanctum, in which he claimed that no one can be saved who does not submit to the Pope as the supreme head of the church and demanded that kings and all earthly authority be subject to him. And Pope Gregory the seventh, humbled Emperor Henry IV. In 1076, the Pope called a council of bishops and proclaimed that the emperor could no longer rule his kingdom. In January of 1077, the Emperor traveled to Italy to the castle where the Pope was staying on a visit to the Duchess Matilda and begged his forgiveness. The haughty Pope forced the Emperor to stay outside in the winter cold, barefoot and fasting for three days. Pope Innocent III humbled King John of England in 1199 to 1216. When His Highness the Pope became displeased with the king, he excommunicated him, issued a decree declaring he was no longer king and, and uh, releasing the people of England from any obligation to him. You know, what this means is the people now don't have to obey the king. In fact, they can rise up against the king and they can kill the king and they would be protected by the Catholic Church. And it goes on. The haughty pope ordered King Philip of France to organize an army and navy to overthrow John, which he began to do with great zeal, eager to conquer England for himself. The pope called for a crusade. By the way, that's all the crusades were about, was to weaken the European nations and European kings because they were getting too powerful. The pope called for a crusade against John. John promising the participants remission of sins and a share of the spoils of war. In the meantime, King John yielded to the pressure and submitted to the Pope, pledging complete allegiance to him in all things and resigning England and Ireland into the Pope's hands. So then who is King of Ireland and England? It's the Pope. See, I'm telling you, the Pope has had a greater, larger kingdom than any king or conqueror in this world. But well, see, they don't want us to think of them as that. But they have ruled that way. Uh, he also humbled uh, the, the, the uh, Raymond, the fifth or sixth count of Toulouse in France. Raymond was a Roman Catholic, but he favored the Waldensians. The Waldensians were Baptists. And he protected to protect them from the wrath of the Pope. The excommunicated, Pope excommunicated him, threatened him, cursed him, and finally called him for a crusade against him. And And those who responded were promised forgiveness of sins, cancellation of all debts, and if they died in battle, they would go directly to heaven. Hundreds of thousands responded. When Raymond saw that he was surrounded by such an armed multitude, he submitted. He appeared before the Pope's representatives. A rope held by a bishop was tied around his neck. He was beaten upon his naked shoulders until he was covered with blood. The 300,000 papal crusaders then descended upon the Count's territories, uninhibited and destroyed the Waldensians' also called the Albigensians. It is impossible to describe the barbarities poured out upon this people. As many as 100,000 people were slain in one city alone, and that upon uh, that of Bezers In another city they put out the eyes of 100 defenders. One of occasion, 400 heretics were burned alive together in massive pyres, and so on. Um, so, we see... She rules over kings with whom kings have committed. Uh, her blas- and Number six, her blasphemy identifies her as Rome. Verse three says she is, uh, so he carried me away in the spirit of the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The title of Rome's popes are blasphemous. They call him Holy Father, or Pontiff, or his holiness. These are names that belong only to God. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 23 9, call no man your father upon earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Now, if you read in context there, he's not talking about your earthly father. He's talking about a master over you. You don't call anyone one in authority over you. Don't call me father. That's an offense to God. And to call a Catholic priest father or the Pope father is, a, is blasphemous. Or to call him his holiness. Of course, their exaltation of Mary is another example of Rome's blasphemy. Uh, you know, they call her the mother of God. Of course, this, was, this, was, uh, this doctrine was, of course, put down in paper by Augustine. And, uh, you know, and, and this, is, this is what they've written about her. Quote, the Virgin Mary assumed into the dwelling place of the heavens where the king of kings sits on the starry throne the Holy Mother of God is elevated into the kingdom of heaven above choirs of angels, unquote. Christ has an open book in his hand which, he has, which has the words in Latin meaning, quote, come my beloved and I will place you on my throne. Another prominent image of Mary in this church is titled Mary, Queen of Peace. And of course in this statue image, Mary is depicting holding Jesus Child Jesus with one arm while holding the other out in a sign of blessing. One of the church's chapel and shrines, an ancient icon of Mary titled, and it's Seleucus, popular Roman, the health or well-bearing of the Roman people. You know, again, this is blasphemous. Um, you know, interesting enough, this comes, this theology comes from ancient Babylon and Nimrod. According to uh, um, there's a book called uh, The Two Babylons. And in it, he talks about Nimrod had a wife, Semarinus. And Semarinus had a child which she said was conceived by a sunbeam. Yeah. Anyway, and this child she called Tameis. There's a son. When he was grown, he was killed by a wild boar. But through her weeping over him for 40 days, a lot of things in the Bible about 40 days, 40 days he was resurrected to life. And from that, we have this cult that's developed, and, it is, and it is in every, almost every culture. The Romans called her... Um, I can't remember the names they gave her, but but one one name she's called Ishtar. Let me see here. In Phoenicia, she's called Ashtoreth, and her son, Baal, or Tamez. In Egypt, she was called Isis, and her son was called Osiris, or Horus. In Greece, she was called Aphrodite, and her son called Eros. Among the Romans, she was called Venus, and her son was called Cupid. And and, uh, in Babylon, she was also called Ishtar. Now, in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, the prophets make mention of this. And, and what they would do was they would, they would make wafers. They called her the queen of heaven. In Ezekiel chapter 8, Ezekiel speaks against the children of Israel, and God says, And you see the things they do? They make wafers, they worship Tamez. course, this is a similar thing they brought into the Roman Catholic Church with Mary, the mother of God. Uh, Number seven, her clothing identifies her with Rome. She's, verse four, she said, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Uh, What are the colors of Rome? They are purple and scarlet. The bishops and the cardinals wear purple or scarlet. Brother Cloud said he, he uh, watched a Christmas mass one time, and he said it was a sea of, of purple and scarlet. That's what it was. And, of course, you know, uh, her wealth. Number eight, her wealth. She is decked with gold. Uh, verse 4 says, decked with gold, uh, precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness, Of Earth, you know, this is a very accurate description. You know, no one really knows how wealthy the Roman Catholic Church is. I really don't know. In fact, I googled it. How much is money is the Vatican worth? Well, bankers' best guesses about the Vatican's wealth put it at ten to fifteen billion. Um. But the Vatican has big investments in banking, insurance, chemicals, steel, construction, and real estate. So is it a church? Uh, and then I saw this on www.historynews.com. It says, talking about Pope Pius X, he is the first Pope since Pius X. Now, talking about the pope, present-day Pope. He is the first Pope since Pius X who lives outside the Papal Apartments. So current Pope Francis' net worth could not be identified. But the whole church's net worth could be more than $400 billion. No one really knows how wealthy they are. But I'm telling you, of course, they always present themselves as very But here, some time ago in France, let's see if I can find it. Yeah, here it is. In France, uh, this was part of a thing uh, copied from, uh, with permission from, from Dave Hunt's book. It says, Roman Catholic Church, quote, the Roman Catholic Church is by far the wealthiest institution on earth. Yet one hears from Rome periodic pleas for money. Persuasive appeals claiming the Vatican cannot maintain itself on a limited budget and needs monetary assistance. Such pleas are unconscionable ploys. Um, you know, the value of innumerable sculptures by such masters as Michelangelo, paintings by the world's greatest artists, countless other art treasures, and ancient documents which Rome possesses, not only at the Vatican but in cathedrals around the world, is beyond calculation. At the World Synod of Bishops in Rome, Ingalls. England's Cardinal Hainan proposed that the church sell some of this superfluous treasures and give proceeds to the poor. His suggestion was not well received. Christ and his disciples lived in poverty. He told his followers not to lay up treasure on earth, but in heaven the Roman Catholic Church has disobeyed that command and has accumulated a plethora of riches without equal, of which the Roman Pontiff is the supreme administrator and steward. There is no church, no city, which is a spiritual entity nor religious institution past, present, or future, which even comes close to possessing the wealth of the Roman Catholic Church. A recent newspaper article described only a fraction of that treasure at one location. The fabulous treasure of lords of France, whose existence was kept secret by the Catholic Church for 120 years has been unveiled. Rumors have been circulating for decades about a priceless collection of gold chalices, diamonds-studded crucifixes, uh, and, and silver and precious stones donated by grateful pilgrims. After an indiscreet remark by their press spokesman this week, church authorities agreed to reel part, part of the collection. Some floor-to-ceiling cases were opened to reveal 59 solid gold chalices alongside rings, crucifixes, statues, and heavy golden brooches, many encrusted, encrusted with precious stones. Almost hidden by the other treasures is the crown of Notre Dame of the Lords, Made by a Paris goldsmith in 1876 and studded with diamonds. Church authorities say they cannot put a value on the collection. I have no idea, says Father Pierre, director of patrimony and sanctuaries. It is of inestimable value. Across the road of the building housing hundreds of antique ecclesiastical garments rose mitres and sashes, many in heavy gold thread. The church itself is poor, insists Father Curiez. The Vatican itself is poor. Yeah. The wealthiest organization on the face of the earth is the Roman Catholic Church. Where did it get its money? By selling. Selling the gospel. Selling it. The Crusades... Uh, they, of course, they would, they would, they would loan money out to, to uh, conquerors and so on, and so forth. But they have been, they have known to, they've sold the gospel. You know, their, their, their uh, indulgences and all the things you buy them—a mass, you pay. Everything costs. They grew wealthy through the Inquisition the Inquisition, they not only arrested and imprisoned people and tortured and burned heretics, they confiscated all their property. Even if they had children, they took it from them. Number nine, her cup identifies her with Rome. Verse four says... And the woman arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with a gold and precious stones, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness. This, the cup, of course, the only cup mentioned in the New Testament is connected with the Lord's Supper. And that is a humble ritual. It symbol, simply symbolizes Christ's death. They've converted this into a glorious pageantry. Uh, And the blasphemous transubstantiation, where supposedly, the the, 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 of course, they use wine, and the bread actually turns into the blood and body of Christ. And, of course, they use a gold chalice. It's interesting, though. The other interesting thing is, Pope uh, Leo XII, I think it was, in 1825, had a a coin minted of himself. On one side is an image of himself. On the other side is this woman holding a golden cup. Of course, her abominations, um, she is filled with abominations. We mentioned some of that already. Uh, her associates identify her with Rome in uh, in uh, Verse five, it says, "Upon her forehead is name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth." Uh, her, she has, there's two harlots. There are they, they. too are harlots. The Protestant denomination split off from of Rome in the 16th and 17th century, and they retain a lot of the same doctrines and practices of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, you know, really, Catholicism is the mother of Protestantism. And you know who the mother of fundamentalism is? Protestantism. I'll say a little bit more about that later. Her violence identifies her with Rome. Verse 6 says, And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. No one really knows how many people were put to death by the Catholic Church. Not all of them were Baptists or Protestants. Let me read this statement. Um, This was in the Netherlands in the 1520s, and I quote, The history of the Low Countries in this time is so full of martyrdoms that it is like a gradual extermination of the population. The fires were now kindled all over the country, and an edict followed edict with increasing severity kept them burning. It was death to read a page of the Scriptures, death to discuss any article of faith, death to have in one's possession any writings of Luther, Zwingli, or I'm not sure who that. What can't pronounce that other guy's name. Death. Think about this. Death to express a doubt respecting the efficacy of the sacraments, or the authority of the Pope. So if you even raised a question. You're put to death. You couldn't even ask an honest question. This is the wickedness of this organization. Uh, in, 15, in the year 1567, the council, it's called the Council of Blood, as it was called, held its first sitting. Blood now flowed in torrents. A new deity was issued, affixing a heavy penalty upon all wagoneers, carriers, and shipmasters who should aid in the immigration of heretics. So if you're suspicioned of of helping somebody escape that's considered a heretic, guess what? You're put to death too. They had resolved that none should escape. Upon the nineteenth of February fifteen sixty eight, a sentence of the Holy Office that's, of course, the Vatican, condemned all the inhabitants of the Netherlands to death as heretics. A proclamation of the king, dated 10 days later, confirmed this decree of the Inquisition and ordered it to be carried into instant execution without regard to age, sex, or condition. This is probably the most concise death warrant that was ever framed. Three millions of people, men, women, and children were sentenced to the scaffold in three lines unquote. and things like this happen, you know, it's estimated that between 50 and 80 million people were killed during the dark ages alone by the Catholic Church and the Inquisition uh, her association with Babylon I mentioned that already uh, how, how, you know, they, they merchandised the gospel, um, and, and uh, uh, they, they they you know made a name for themselves, and and so so these are things you know that clearly clearly identify this as the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I do want to say something further. I don't believe it's the Roman Catholic Church alone. Because go to chapter 18 and verse 24. It says, And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Now, what I think this is here is a picture for us of all false religion. Because all false religion has opposed God and God's people down to the history of time. Whether it was the Babylonians and their false religions or the Romans and their worship of emperors, that's, that was the cause of the persecution of the early Christians in, in, in Bible time or in, uh, during, the, during the times of the apostles. Was, they would refuse to worship the emperor. But see, the Roman Catholic Church in the end times, is the predominant fixture in all this. And they have adopted all these same philosophies of all these ancient religions, right? They're they're a, a, a conglomeration of all these false religions put together. And they're trying to get all the false religions of the world now together under one head. And it's working. And see, they are the, by far, the largest group. With the longest history. And I believe that's the reason they are so vividly identified. But her end is coming. Her end is coming. In verse 13. It says, these have one mind to give their power and strength unto the beast. Talking about the kings. That's talking about the Antichrist. The kingdoms, the ten kings, refers, I believe, to the European Union, and there's things I could say about that that don't really have time. But uh, the, the seven kings refer to the world empires, I believe, the world empires, and the eighth. The seventh will be the European Union, out of which will come the eighth, which is the Antichrist. You know, there was Egypt, Babylon, um, uh, Greece, um, uh, Persia. And, and I'm trying to remember if I, I got them all, but there, there's there's seven that had to do with the, the nation of Israel. But anyway, but these have one mind, shall give their power and strength unto the beast. And these shall make war with the lamb, um, and and the lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of king of kings, and they that are with him are called, chosen, the faithful. And then if we drop down to verse 16, and the ten horns, this will be the the European Union over which the Antichrist is going to rule, the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fill his will, and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast, until the words of God shall be filled. Uh, so these are going to turn and even though, you know, they are the the the, the uh, this this whore, who I believe the Pope is the false prophet. It's going to encourage people to worship the beast, but they're going to eventually turn and hate the whore. Let me ask you something. You talk to a typical Roman Catholic, what do they really think about their church if they're honest? There's a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of phoniness. They don't have a lot of respect for it. But there's held in fear. There's a great fear there, because they do believe, many of them do believe, that the Pope has great power. Now, by world standard, he does. But by God's standard, he has nothing. See, by the world standard, he was by he he says he can condemn you to death. So they fear, but. But they really don't have respect for them, and there's lots of money there. And when these nations are gonna, they're going to turn, God's going to turn their hearts against them. And you know they, you would think about it, hey think about it, they are, they, maybe they're just going to get tired of the hypocrisy of all this, because it's very evident to see you say, "You know what? We don't need you. We could sure use your money." To fund the war. The battle of Armageddon. And they're going to turn. And they're going to destroy her. And of course Revelation 18 describes. The view from man's view of her destruction. And heaven's view. It says rejoice over her thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. But I want to conclude with this. Here's what the Lord says to us about this religious system. Verse 4 of chapter 18. Now there are a voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, receive not of her plagues, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. You see, we're not to have any part or parcel or fellowship with The Roman Catholic Church were to separate, or from apostate, or apostate religious, any apostate religious system, were to separate from it and its false doctrines. And her children and her grandchildren. Her children, I believe, refers to Protestantism. Protestantism is a child of the Roman Catholic Church. They are half Catholic. They have adopted many of the same Catholic doctrines. They were the ones that persecuted the Baptists in the early colonial days. They believe really in state church. They also believe in the universal church theory, which, by the way, came from Augustine and the Roman Catholic Church. Now let me take it a step further. Fundamentalism is half-Protestant. And many independent Baptists fit this description. What is fundamentalism? Well, fundamentalism is a movement of men that supposedly agree about five basic fundamentals. The deity of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the virgin birth, the inspiration of Scripture. And I'm trying to remember what the fifth one is. I don't remember these because I don't pay any attention to fundamentalism anymore. I've been liberated. Praise the Lord. Anyway, you know, f- five basic fundamentals, which they call essentials, for you to be a fundamental, which means a literal Bible believing Christian. You know what is not one of those? The mode of baptism. What does baptism picture? The resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ. Is that a fundamental doctrine? Okay, what did our Baptist forefathers die defending? It wasn't the inspiration of Scripture, it wasn't that Jesus is the Son of God. And it wasn't that he was virgin birth. Catholics believe that. At least they say they do. No. It was baptism by immersion which pictures Christ's resurrection. And see, fundamentalism has set that aside and said it's a minor doctrine. No, friend, it's not a minor doctrine. You see, this universal church theory you know, adopts uh, and, 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 of course, you know, is, is also brings together, it allows for ecumenism. In fact, it requires ecumenic, ecumenism. The universal church theory basically says that all Christians are in the body of Christ or the church of Christ. And Corinthians tells us that there's to be no schism in the body. So you cannot separate from your brother who's in any other church who disagrees with you on the mode of baptism because that would be causing a schism. You know, it used to bother me a lot of this stuff when I was taught this universal church theory. And when I realized that separation has to do with local, that the church is local, I took care of all that. Because I couldn't reconcile. I couldn't reconcile the teaching of First Corinthians chapter twelve, believing in a universal church theory. See, we need to we need to defend the doctrines that our Baptist forefathers have held to historically, and that is a local church theory. The universal church theory is really making the church and the kingdom of God the same thing. And they're not. You know, we'll get into more of this later to help you understand that. But, we're to separate. We're to separate from this false gospel that's being promoted all over the world. Whether it be through the Catholic Church itself or Protestantism, or these fake independent Baptists. Yeah, you know, we need to stand for the truth, and hold to the truth. Baptism by immersion is important. The local church is important. It is a body of Christ. This is a body of Christ. You know, I don't have to worry about what the others do out there anymore. You know, I used to worry about. What's that preacher over there doing? It don't matter. You know, because if he's don't, not doing something right, then I can't eat lunch with him. That's a bunch of garbage. Now, if somebody in our church is in disobedience and we discipline them, then I'm not to eat with them. But I am to encourage them to get right. They ought not to be taken in by another church. See, these are things that Baptist churches used to always hold. But if it's some other church, a Protestant church, you know, you used to think, "What? Well, I probably shouldn't have lunch with a Lutheran preacher. Why not? He's not my church. So that, does, that doesn't mean I can't get, no, I wouldn't have him preach in my pulpit. If he wanted to ten here, I don't care. He couldn't be a member and hold to those doctrines. See what I'm saying? It liberates you from all this. You've got to check on what everybody's doing. No. No. Now, we need to hold to the simple truths of the Word of God and concern ourselves with Lighthouse Baptist Church and just be faithful, preaching the gospel, giving the truth, again, that baptism is pictures, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Might, Lord, help us to be faithful. You know, we see things happening. We believe the Lord is soon coming. But we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.